This is Tell Your Story, Alaska. We talk aviation, history, theology, but most of all, the raw stories of Alaskans and the gospel. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Tell Your Story Alaska. I am here with my new friend Haley Bat. We are in McGrath, Alaska, and I actually just finished recording another episode with Brad Sturm, and now I'm sitting down with Haley, and you and Brad work together here at One Wilderness Lodge, and you've become quite the asset. He's been talking about you um, here at the lodge. So, um, you recently had a severe loss in your life. Yep. Your husband died mm-hmm. um, in August. It's October now as we record this, 2023. Yeah, almost, almost exactly two and a half months ago. Two and a half months ago. So this loss is still very fresh. Mm-hmm. And um, I approached you and asked you if you'd be willing to tell your story about losing mm-hmm. a husband. Yeah. Um, so before we get to uh, the story of your husband, let's talk about you a little bit. Tell us uh, where you're from and your childhood, just kind of the, the 30,000 foot view. What is your childhood and where you're from? Sure. Uh, I grew up with my f- uh, family in, on the border of Canada and Idaho, on the Idaho side, but some say I sound like I have a Canadian accent. <laughs> Can't help with that. A? Yeah. So yeah, the stereotypical sneaks in there a. occasionally. Sure. Yes. Uh, um, my my family grew up uh, off the grid. We had a homestead out oh. in the woods, and it was um, we powered the well pump from a car battery, and we had a little generator that that gave us uh, lights at night. But um, why did your parents live off grid? What was did they have? My a dad always wanted to have a, a a house in the woods that he'd built, and he wanted to kind of be self sufficient. Really? So it was it was in it's a small house, eleven hundred square feet with okay. five people in there. So Got a little cozy, but it worked. Yeah. Oh, that's so. I actually, we've been talking a little bit before, and I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful view from from their living room window. You look up the the Priest River Valley. It goes up to Priest Lake, and you can kind of see almost see Canada from from their oh, living wow. room window. So, is is a beautiful view. Um, wonderful childhood and uh, hmm. wonderful parents who love the Lord and were involved in the church. So. Wow, that's really neat. I did yeah. not know that. Yep. <laughs> and are your parents still around? They are. Yeah. Yeah. And they both they both are um, still working. Actually, my dad's an aircraft engineer, and my mom's a music teacher. Oh wow. Yep. Okay. So let's get into your older childhood. Um, we were talking about a little bit. You had an interest in aviation early on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my like I said, my dad's an aircraft engineer, and so he. Um, was involved from even before I can remember in in uh, machining parts. He is a machinist and a programmer, so um, had things to do with propellers long before I even knew what a propeller was. But then wow. when we moved to Idaho when I was real small, uh, he uh, started working for a company that still builds airplanes, and my dad's still an engineer. And so we were rubbing shoulders with pilots. I mean, every time we had a barbecue or a church event, there was pilots all over the place. So that was... So you just grew up around aviation, that, that aviation whole world. Aviation was a thing all the time. Yep. Okay. Now, before we started recording, you told me about this 
crazy connection with Quest and the Kodiak yeah. airplane and the, the development of it. Could yes. you just go into some of that? Because that was so interesting. Sure. Yes. Uh, the, the, um, if you hadn't heard, there's an aircraft called the Quest Kodiak. It's now uh, the company is owned by Dyer, but, uh, and that's based in Europe. But it started in Idaho. And it was started by a bunch of guys who were who had a heart for the Lord um, and knew something about building airplanes. But they started talking with other missionaries who'd used aircraft for years in places very remote, from Papua New Guinea to South America to um, the Philippines and Africa, any place you can think of jungles and airplanes. That's where these guys talked to missionaries and they said what do you need an airplane to do and missionaries told them everything from we need to be able to carry this much weight to it needs to be able to land or take off in this short a distance and it needs to burn this type of fuel and so um, these guys that designed airplanes said okay we're going to take all these parameters and see what we can come up with Mm. and the Kodiak was born out of that Um, and it was neat to be a kid and watch this and their excitement and their desire to serve the Lord with their skills in building this aircraft. So my dad was hired by Quest. He was like the third or fourth employee hired ever Hmm. as a machinist. And they, so these guys that designed the airplane gave my dad a bunch of drawings and said, can we make an airplane? And so we started machining parts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I come from, um, an engineering family my father's an engineer. My brother's an engineer. Okay. There you go. I love seeing these, um, high-end skills being used for worldwide missions. I mean, how cool is that? People just using what they're good at and and they just nerd out about it. My dad was actually hired as a welder. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, you know how to machine too, huh? (laughs) 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 Oh, well, okay. We can use that. (laughs) So one of the design parameters was, because historically it's been 206s and Cherokee 6s, you were saying. Yeah, and 185s and some of that kind of stuff. And they needed a, a... plane that runs on jet fuel that can do the same thing basically yeah and for i mean we don't need to get into the parameters too much but jet fuel and avgas are two different things like it's like car gas versus diesel fuel you can't put one in the other aircraft generally and so um worldwide uh the u.s is a primary user of of what we call avgas which is leaded fuel Mm -hmm. you're not going to find that in many of the third world countries overseas that need small aircraft and so um they've been going away from the 206 that burns leaded fuel and um they but they can bring in jet fuel which is basically refined kerosene yep. and most because that's what the use airlines it. use yeah airlines they need use those it at ships the use it yeah. um on a lot of vehicles so and and um and kerosene is used even in lanterns so so it's not yep. hard to get kerosene and uh, if you can find an airplane that burns kerosene all the better right yeah. now they don't have to ship the avgas and these you know, 55 gallon drums, which right. is what they had to do, and it's insanely in, expensive. Exa- insanely expensive and somewhat dangerous, um, and then, mm. and yeah, lots of issues with that. So if they can find something that is uh, burns and is readily available, let's do that. So the Kodiak uses jet fuel. It's a turboprop aircraft. A mm-hmm. PT6 engine is one of the better uh, turboprops out there. Yeah. I think in my book, and yeah. Whitney knows what they're doing. So. I, I'd never known the history of the Kodiak. I'm aware of the Kodiak. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone in my family flies a Kodiak overseas. And so, um, and I have flown in a Kodiak before. So mm-hmm. that is, that's new for me. So yeah. that's really cool. And you actually ended up working for Quest. Is I did. that right? Yeah. And what was that? What was that? Yeah, I got hired when I was in high school. They needed someone to do data entry. And, mm. um, 
I I don't pretend to be a computer expert, but I could punch numbers into a computer, and I was happy to help. And it was neat to just be a part of and see what was going on. Um, I was hired on before they'd gotten type certificate and mm. production certificate, and mm-hmm. so I was in some of the research and development side of things. And wow. it's just kind of cool to, to watch as a kid and be able to see break things on purpose and see us test and bend things to see what kind of parameters we could set in type certificate. Uh, so that was that was neat uh, from from my perspective as learning side of things. But then just see everybody's heart for their excitement when it flew the first time. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that there was a single dry eye in the in in the hangar. That was cool. There is something beautiful when you work so hard on something yeah. and then you finally get to see it. Finally get to see it. And we've been talking about it. That was everything we always talked about for years. And yeah. I remember the first time we even talked about. What the what size? Uh, how many seats would be in a Kodiak? It was in the designer's living room at a Christmas party. We had folding chairs, and we just we moved the couches out of the way and set the folding chairs up. And we're like, <laughs> this is like what the seating's gonna be. And this was probably five years before that even flew. But it wow. was so neat to just be a part of that mm. and the design from the beginning and and to just know the heart behind it was how can we use our skills to serve the Lord. Yes. That was just awesome. Yes. Yeah. And now that aircraft has been used commercially and it's, it's yeah, become it, quite popular. Yeah, hundreds and hundreds have been made. I, I don't know what number they're up to right now. But okay. yeah, it's it's a 10-seat aircraft and that's uh, comparable in size to like a Cessna Caravan. Yeah. So, uh, or a King Air with one engine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. So yep. cool. So yeah. cool. Okay. So um, you have, from a young child, aviation in your blood. And tell me from, you know, your time with Quest and coming into adulthood, let's pick up your story from there. What happens next? Sure. So while I was in high school working at Quest as data uh, data entry and production um, assistant, um, I was... Uh, it was suggested to me to look into going to Moody. I was I was kind of bent towards going uh, into the Air Force, and then the the designer of the Kodiak's wife sat me down and said, "You should maybe consider going to a Bible college instead." Mm-hmm. Uh, and and by the way, this Bible college has a flight program that happens to be not too far from here, hmm. and um, so I called up and they gave me a tour um the the paint wasn't even dry on the walls yet like this hangar was brand new and um there was some really fancy shiny 172 airplanes in there and the the guy that gave me the tour was the director of maintenance and um you could tell he had a heart and a passion for maintaining the planes well he had come from a missions background with mission aviation fellowship in uh, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember what base he was in in Indonesia, but okay. he'd been there for about 10 years and um, had been maintaining aircraft over there. Was excited to you know, plug into the next generation of, of mission pilots and mechanics. And mm-hmm. so his heart for ministry and his heart for for seeing what the Lord was doing in these young people's lives was huge. That kind of bled onto you, huh? It did. It was uh, somewhat uh, contagious, yes. Mm. And, and I knew that I didn't even apply to any other colleges at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you had some Air Force ambitions, and after I that did. tour, it was yeah. like, I'm sold. Yep. I didn't. I don't think I even ever thought about looking back. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you did. You got into Moody then? And you I did. attended there? I did, yeah. I, I had sent my application off, and three weeks later, I got a, a, a acceptance letter, and I I graduated 
high school and attended Moody within a couple of weeks. Um, wow. Went off to Moody, and that's where I met my husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were mm-hmm. freshmen in college. Yeah, we definitely didn't start dating the first year. He was a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he was a brilliant guy. He was a mechanic, um, had already come from a year at Bible college, so we didn't have all of our classes at the, together because okay. some of his credits transferred. But um, his roommate started dating my roommate, oh. so we ended up <laughs> hanging out quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's funny yeah. how that worked out. That's funny. God has a sense of humor. And um, uh, we started. Did his roommate marry your roommate? Yes. Oh, yep. okay. And there, uh, he's a missionary pilot in in uh, Congo. Right oh, now. wow. Okay. Yep. Um, we started dating when we were kind of plugged in together as lab partners in A and P school. Mm. Since we were <laughs> hanging out every day all day long, we thought we might as well get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, uh, is that kind of where the spark started around that is, lab yeah. time? Well, sort of. My roommate got us. Um, she she loved to do fancy dinners, and I I'm doing good if I can remember how to turn the microwave on to heat up the hot dog. I am not <laughs> a cook, but she says let's make this, and I don't even know what it was. But then she handed me carrots to cut up. I'm like I can cut up carrots if we're, <laughs> I get to eat part of this. She goes, but you have to have someone come over for this fancy dinner because it's couples, mm-hmm. and I wasn't dating anyone. And I go, well, who should I invite? She says, well. You should invite Dave's roommate. He likes food. I'm like, that, that's the only stipulation. Every guy likes food. <laughs> I'm pretty that's sure not. <laughs> I could go to anybody in the class and get, okay, but this works. So I walked up to Tim. I said, Ashley's doing a, a fancy dinner if you want to come. I guess we have to kind of dress fancy, whatever that means. And he showed up in a three piece suit. Mm, I was he was so, into it. He was into it. But in my mind, that wasn't a date. That was just right. me saying, in order to eat food, I have to have somebody here Do you here think with in me. his mind it was he a date? He definitely thought it was a date because then the following week or two weeks later uh, was Valentine's Day. Mm. But in my mind, I wasn't dating anybody, so I didn't think I needed to come up, come to school. <laughs> this was not second grade. I didn't need to come to school with, like, Valentine's for everybody. Mm. So, I, But I sit down at my desk in the classroom, and there's a, a, a big box of truffles chocolate truffles says happy valentine's day Haley, but it was printed out on computer paper mm-hmm. so i couldn't tell whose handwriting it was huh. and i'm going my face turned bright red like who on earth this I, i'm one of two girls in a class of 35 people so everybody else was a guy so it I'm could like, be any one of them it could be anybody yeah, like i mean a secret like three crush. of them were married and that was the rest the rest i'm like who on earth is cute? okay this is a little embarrassing but then i go out to my lab table and there's a smaller box with the same label on it. I'm like, this, mm. Is this going to go on all day? This is ridiculous. Well, I open the box and it starts blinking. And he's, he was the avion- only avionics technician in class. I'm like, only Tim Bat would wire a chocolate box to blink. <laughs> and I, I catch his eye across the let and his, he was grinning ear to ear. And I go, aha, I figured it out. <laughs> is that the first time you realized he liked you? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then... then we ended up having lunch together all, all the time, and, and the mm. romance blossomed from there. The mm. following year, we were definitely dating. He had to one-up himself because it was only three LEDs in that little chocolate box. <laughs> so the following year, he got a bigger chocolate box, and that thing weighed a ton when he handed it to me. I'm like, what'd you fill this with? Well, I opened it up, and he had 247 LEDs wired <laughs> and programmed. That's really stepping up the Yes, <laughs> it was like reflecting off the ceiling, and all the instructors I like, just love how this kind of love story you're <laughs> yeah. telling is so nerdy and it's so you and yes. so your husband it was so him yeah well and uh yeah, they, we're definitely falling to the nerd category and all the instructors are like tim you're making the rest of us look bad and he goes yep <laughs> like he didn't even care <laughs> i love that yeah yeah so we graduated moody and um 
we worked at both at Moody. I was a, a maintenance instructor there, and he was in the avionics shop. Hmm. And he was happiest if he had a soldering pencil and a bundle of wires in his hand. And if yeah. you didn't talk to him all day, that was okay, too. Yeah. He was a really a quiet guy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But he had a heart for the Lord. Um, he was looking into what it looked like to go, would it be going overseas? That was definitely our plan. Uh, we knew that where Moody was, that was not where we were going to be spending the rest of our life. Yeah. And then you were telling me you were kind of originally looking at Africa through some connections you had. Yeah. Tim had some family serving uh, in Kenya. And so we thought at least even for just a short period of time, we could stay with them and kind of get a, a, a background on what, what it looked like to serve over there with someone that Tim knew quite well. Mm. And we had even started communications with a couple of different organizations that are in Kenya with mm. African in the Mission and Samaritan's Purse. And there's a couple others there. And they were all happy to host us. None of them said, no, we don't really want you to come over here. You, I don't think you'd be a good fit. But we had just started the communication and Moody... Um, hosted yearly a missions conference where they'd bring a bunch of different mission organizations in to say, um, this is what we do. This is what we're about. And this is Moody Aviation in Spokane. Does yes. Okay. Well, and for a while, Moody Spokane, Moody had a campus in Spokane that was aviation. And they also had general studies, biblical studies. They had uh, some pastoral things. I, I don't remember, eight or 12 different um, uh, degrees were offered in Spokane. And okay. so Moody Spokane had a missions conference. Mm. Um, and they'd have organizations come from even different countries. We had wow. some out of Canada. We had some um, come from Mexico and South America, huh. organizations that were from that or, and, and, and recruiting people to go back to them. Yeah. And uh, so we were definitely speaking with the aviation side of things and leaning towards Africa. But but that specific conference, I wasn't able to attend because I had to work. And so Tim went and um, went to, I don't remember, two or three days worth of, of presentations. And I came home from work. He came home from the conference and he would was quite enthralled with, with Alaska. And I kept thinking he was maybe misspeaking because we all we'd been talking about was going to Africa. But prior to that, I, I had been quite interested in going to Alaska. Yeah, could you tell a little bit about your childhood interest in Alaska, that sure. little tidbit of it? We were talking yeah. about it before. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll back up a little bit. So um, my second, my best friend from like birth to about the second grade uh, and her family moved to Alaska when we were in the second grade because her dad took a job as a pastor. Mm. And um, while I was mad at God, I was excited that my friend got this new uh, new job and I was hearing stories of moose chasing sprinklers in their front yard. <laughs> and I had this conversation with God that I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool, God, if we could maybe go to Alaska at some point. It's on my bucket list. And why did you take her away? You didn't ask me. But were you just a little girl at this time? I was time? seven. You're yeah, seven, seven years okay. old. Yep. And and I commu- I kept in touch with her, pen pals and that kind of thing, but I, I haven't seen her since hmm. because God has since taken her to another location in ministry, and that's kind of cool. But um, then when I was 12 or 13, the Kodiak, the, the aircraft we were just talking about, um, debuted with its brand new paint scheme in Port Allsworth, Alaska. So wow. the first pictures we see of this this fancy new airplane is climbing out over these snow-covered mountains over this beautiful Lake Clark area. And so I remember just the stars in my eyes going, hey, God, you remember that conversation I had when I was seven? Um, 
Let's just make sure that we move that item on that bucket list up a couple of lines. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how, like, in hindsight, <laughs> these little tiny moments, you little look, you saw moments. a picture. Yep. And you remember that and yeah. how pivotal it was for you. That yep. one moment. It's one amazing little picture. How... And there may have been two or three pictures of this airplane, but either sure. way, I'm like, okay, that's, I definitely want to go to Alaska. But one of the things I did was kept it between me and God. Mm-hmm. I may have mentioned it to a friend at church, like, wouldn't that be neat to go to Alaska or something? Mm-hmm. But I never said, like, God, I really need to go to Alaska or, or told my husband that I think God's calling us to Alaska. I just kept it between God and myself. So then when Tim came home from this missions conference and he keeps going on and on and on about this Alaska, I'm going, has he been reading my journal or have I been talking (laughs) in my sleep or what's going on? And so finally, at the end of this whole thing of him telling me about these conferences was he's in his mind, he's trying to figure out how he's going to convince me that we really actually should think about going to Alaska He's, it took him, uh, felt like forever. Yeah, I really think we should consider possibly thinking about, like, blah, 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 blah. Finally, he says, I think we should go to Alaska. And then he's expecting me to, like, blow up in his expecting face. Expecting a pushback. Yeah, he, she's going to argue with me. And I said, oh, okay. And so the look on his face is like, how did you know I was going to say that? <laughs> you do realize I said Alaska, right? And and I'm and I hear in my mind going, God, you worked in His heart separately from me, and that is awesome. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so we we came up here for the first time um, on a short term trip in 2013, and we visited mm. four different villages, and we're down on the road system a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And we weren't really sure um, exactly at that point where what village we were going to be in and to what capacity we were going to serve with, but mm-hmm. we just knew we were supposed to be in Alaska. Wow. So then we moved up here in 2017, mm-hmm. so four years later, Yeah, and um, moved directly from northern Washington to McGrath mm-hmm. um, with only knowing that our final destination was McGrath. Um, we had to stop in Anchorage because it turns out when you drive the Alcan and you hit a moose in toke, there's some paperwork <laughs> you have to fill out. <laughs> it was a whole other story in and of itself, whole other right? Story, yeah. But we yeah. we uh, finally got to a la- to McGrath, and um, the moose didn't make it. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't make it. He didn't make Hopefully it. Hopefully, his meats got eaten. It did. Yes, yeah, sure. the trooper. It was quite cold out. It's 35 degrees below mm-hmm. zero when we hit the moose, so the moose meat was fine. Yeah. And um, we've been serving in capacity um, from aircraft mechanic to substitute mm. teacher. And Tim fixed everything else, including airplanes, from toilets to snow machines and refrigerators, airplanes, uh, plumbing and heating systems for the lodge here. Yeah. yeah. All of that was uh, Tim's Tim Bat. Really a handyman, which he of course was. in the bush is totally necessary. Very you need, helpful. You need someone like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And Tim was that guy. He was that guy. They, they, they jokingly called him the oracle around here because even if it's not <laughs> something that he'd worked on... If it was a system type thing he was familiar with, so if it's not, he'd not worked on your boiler per se, but he knows boilers, mm-hmm. he could probably fix it. And, yeah. Yeah, without any issues. And he's worked on probably half the village's snow machines and trucks. And It sounds like he had a very welcome presence in the village. Like the people were just so glad he was here. Yeah, they were glad he was here. And his personality was really accepted too. He was he was just an easygoing guy. He was not, he was very soft-spoken 
and is such a good listener that mm. he would sit there and even if he's wrenching on your snow machine for the 12th time, but you want to talk to him, he'd just listen. There is something so endearing about just a soft-spoken, kind of a quieter guy. Mm-hmm. They're approachable. They don't have like some big agenda. Right. They're just yep. an, uh, an endeared person. And then the other thing is with that is when they do speak, you know they're speaking with wisdom. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Hmm. So he was he, he was a very, very th- uh, knowledgeable but wise man, too. So hmm. um, he was involved in the church here as an elder. Hmm. And uh, he didn't like filling the pulpit because he really wasn't that uh, upfront and type, type of person. But when it was necessary, his sermons weren't very long, but they were well thought out and very there was a lot of wisdom to, to be shared. In his like everything sermons. that he said was important. Exactly. Because he yep. thought it through. Yep. He's a thinker. Yeah, he was. And so writing 12-page papers in college wasn't his favorite thing because he figured he could have everything said that needed to be said in about four sentences. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I yeah. like, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why should, I, why should I expand on what I needed to say? Because I said it all in four sentences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's go into um, what are some of the things that he, I think he started having some health issues. I actually don't know the story. We haven't talked about it yet. Yeah. So let's, let's, where did that story begin? Well, um, he knew that it was, he always knew that it was a possibility that he might end up with this disease. And what he got diagnosed with was uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease mm. because there was a strong presence of it in his family. There okay. was a long history of, of uh, genetic ALS, which was very aggressive. So his mom passed away from it, and so did all of her siblings. Wow. Okay. And, her and this mother, is something that's genetically passed down. Genetically or passed down. People are susceptible they, they, to it. Yeah, they've passed. They've done like the ancestry type thing, and they know that it's been back to like the 1600s. Mm, okay. Um, they don't really know 100 percent because they didn't really know what genetics were back then. Yeah. But they're it's traced back to Europe somewhere. Okay. Um, and. Um, yeah, he always knew it was a possible, a fifty percent chance of getting it. Hmm. So uh, you can be tested for the gene. Hmm. That'll either tell you you have it or you don't. Hmm. And even if you have the gene, that doesn't mean that you're going to end up getting it. So hmm. we opted for not getting tested hmm. because it wouldn't have changed what we were going to do. Yeah. Okay. Um, we knew God was calling us to Alaska, hmm. and. Whether or not he had the gene, we were still going to Alaska. Right. And that didn't change Tim's ability in fixing snow machines up until the time he got diagnosed. Yeah. So we didn't really have a plan in place for if he did get diagnosed. Um, His mom died in 2003, and there was no cure. There was no treatment. Hmm. So from the time she was diagnosed to the time she passed was nine months. Wow. So it goes very fast. Yeah. And uh, when Tim was diagnosed, we thought, well... Uh, we, we, at that point, prayed for the gift of time, whatever that looked like. Mm. Um, if that was time with people to talk or more time on earth or what, whatever that looked like, we let God fill in that blank. We said, God, give us a gift of time, whatever that looks like. Mm. So um, he was, honored that. What were some of Tim's reactions when he first learned the news? Like, how did he react to it? Oh, there was definitely some human reactions of tears and anger. Hmm. Not, not at each other, but we were both very upset there was um what do you do he was 30 he was 35 when he got diagnosed so very young yeah and we thought there's so much left that we haven't done Hmm. so um lots of tears and um then there was a pretty fast acceptance of Hmm. 
we knew this was going to happen or very possible. Yeah. Um, so then we were praying for the gift of time and God honored that with uh, conversations we never would have had with people otherwise because hmm. they're um, I won't say names right now but we had a gentleman here uh, it's a very good friend of ours and um, he got diagnosed with colon cancer the same the very same week hmm. that Tim was diagnosed with ALS now colon cancer is a scary scary diagnosis and um, can be very serious yeah and we knew uh, Tim's diagnosis was going to be fatal. That's mm-hmm. what was going to kill him, unless he was killed in a car wreck beforehand. <laughs> right. We weren't going to come out of this alive. And so we're sitting across the table from our friend and sipping on chocolate milkshakes or something. And Tim's sitting there. with He always had this ear-to-ear grin and twinkly eyes. As he, if he would smile, his eyes would almost close shut. He'd get this, such a big smile. <laughs> he's sipping on this chocolate milkshake with this diagnosis that he, he's going to die. Mm. And our friend is looking at him and he's mad because while colon cancer is scary there is treatment for it and he had a good outcome Hmm. but he's looking at that going how can you sit there with that stupid grin on your face and be so joyful knowing this is going to kill you whatever you have i want it and it opened up opportunities for us to be able to share Hmm. heart to heart why we have this weird joy of this is this world is not our home wow so um there's still a lot of anger and resentment and that individual is still wondering what what tim had that he but and and we've little bits and pieces have been able to explain to him Hmm. then he kind of goes i don't want to deal with god Hmm. so i'm like it's, it's fun from my perspective to watch him and say God's tugging on those heartstrings and not allowing him to get very much rest until he comes to grips with what this is. Hmm. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that the harsh reality of death sooner than it should have been. Yep. Opened up opportunities that wouldn't have been otherwise. Absolutely. Yep. Hmm. And and Tim Tim handled it with a lot of grace. Um ALS is not always a painful disease and in Tim's case it wasn't painful, oh. which is great. Hmm. Um it's a neurological disorder that allows, like, you can still feel things. He could feel when his feet and hands were hot or cold. He just couldn't move them. Wow. So even if, like, his nose itched, he could feel that. He just couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So he would often tell me, you know, can you can, can you move my foot or can you scratch, my nose, scratch my nose, something like yeah. that, where that allowed him to get more comfortable. But it didn't hurt yeah. unless he was just needed to adjust something in his chair. Hmm. Um, so that was a huge blessing. But... Eventually, so initially will affect muscles that you that are voluntary that you have control over. So your extremities, your eyes, your mouth. Um, but then eventually it'll start to affect muscles that are involuntary, like your diaphragm for breathing, mm-hmm. and then it just causes system shutdown. Yeah. So um, Tim was diagnosed in winter or Christmas of 2021. Um, by January, February of 22, we had been given an opportunity to be on an experimental medication hmm. that seemed to be uh, quite promising for his specific type of ALS. Hmm. And um, it took, it felt like forever to get on it, but it only took about three months for all the red tape to go through, which yes. for somebody who only has a nine month diagnosis to live, we're like, that's a lot of time. But in reality, three months isn't that long. Hmm. So the medication, um, what did seem to be working 
it slowed the slowed the progression down a lot which again god's honoring that gift of time request he answered Mm. that in so many ways and so um from 21 to the end of 22 beginning of 23 there was not a whole lot of progression which was wow. huge. Okay. Like okay. there were little bits and pieces. Like, it's like at 21, he could still walk. Um, hmm. And we started noticing weakness in his legs was hmm. how we how we came to this diagnosis. Um, by the middle of 22, he was mostly in a wheelchair. And that was just because he was so unsteady. He got tired of trying to hold himself up. So by, by 23, beginning of 23, he could still stand on one leg. Hmm. Okay. But he just couldn't steady himself. He lost a lot of movement in his arms, and his right leg was pretty much useless. Wow. So it was more comfortable for him to just stay in a wheelchair. Yeah. But he could still talk. He could still eat. Um, his brain was definitely sharp until the end. Hmm. So all of that was a huge blessing. Because was, did COVID affect any of this uh, during that time? Um, I mean, he got COVID one time, but it didn't seem to... Um, there wasn't didn't seem to be any so lasting COVID effects. basically wasn't a factor then... No, yeah, okay. no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, we don't. Not that anybody has said officially. So. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that he even had COVID, mm. other than maybe one one time, and it was a very minor, minor case. So okay. that was a huge blessing too. Yeah. It probably helps that we we're super rural and there's not a lot of people <laughs> it helps out that here. You're yeah. way out here. Way in the, the heck out here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, by by um, spring of 23, we started noticing there was some more weakness coming in. Hmm. But he got this medication once a month. We would fly in. And since I'm a pilot, we had a plane here. I would fly us in from our village into Anchorage. Hmm. And we had a wonderful medical team. Um, a good percentage of them were believers. Wow. So that's that was great. They would pray with us before each procedure. And it wasn't just like a little shot in the arm. He actually was a spinal injection, spinal oh. tap once wow. a month. So wow. let's just go have that fun. <laughs> let's have him stick a needle on my back. Yeah, yeah, but he couldn't see it, so that helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and it slowed things down. It was like every 28 or 29 days we went in for that. Mm, okay. For close to over a year and a half. So that's like a once a month trip to Anchorage in once the plane. Once a month trip to Anchorage, yep. Yeah. And thankfully it wasn't something that... Um, we had to be in for a week. He wasn't in the hospital. It was just in the doctor's office. And we got pretty darn good at it yeah. towards the end. We had it down to a science. I bet. <laughs> so, um, like, Tim could tell the doctor how to do it if he was off a little bit on one side or the other. So he was good at it. But we actually, the, the, the week he died, we had just finished two weeks of camp, and it was the most mm. successful camp we'd had. We wow. had 37 teenagers the last week from mm. all over the interior. Um, you know, with camp weeks, are you're not sleeping a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> so we had two weeks of camp and then a week of conference in Anchorage. And we were hmm. kind of looking forward to the conference week being something we didn't have to plan. All we had right. to do was show up. Yeah. And we yeah. just had to sit there. And mm-hmm. we, could, we could snack on food and we just had to sit there. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So, so we were kind of looking forward to conference and, and catching up with a lot of our brothers and sisters in ministry. And um, we'd been to conference for two, three days. It was a four-day conference, and the 
the morning of the fourth day, I rolled over to, to check on him because we were actually in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And, and you do this without even thinking about it. When you, when you have a spouse or someone who's medically fragile, you don't even think about it half the time when you're checking on them. You, you'll look at them. You can tell if their breathing's normal or mm-hmm. if their skin color's off or if they look uncomfortable. And so I was like probably 4 o'clock in the morning. I rolled over to use the restroom and I rolled over and I glanced at him and I knew something was wrong. Hmm. Um, but he wasn't in any pain. God had taken him in his sleep. He, wow. he just, he was not uncomfortable. It looked like he was sleeping, but I could tell he wasn't breathing. Hmm. And so I, as an EMT, I, I work as an EMT here in Alaska, uh, here in McGrath specifically. I'm, I drive our ambulance and I've been to a lot of <clears throat> ugly calls hmm. where it takes a while for family or even EMS to realize that the the patient has passed, but it took me about three seconds looking at him, knowing that he wasn't here anymore. Hmm. God had called him home. So it wasn't an emergency, but it definitely was something we weren't, we weren't planning on at that time. He he was not bedridden. Um, he was in a wheelchair, but he could still get around. He was still Hmm. eating. He was still able to converse and God called him home. What are your thoughts on that? Like, it seemed like it happened a little bit early because he was still partly functional. Yeah, We had just had his new, um, I I think it was God's timing, honestly. Hmm. So, um, we talked to a couple of different people in, in medicine in, on his case. And we're like, this kind of came out of nowhere. Hmm. There was there was no indication that it was getting close, hmm. and and uh, the, of course the, the believers on the team said God called him home, and the others were just like this. This was just kind of an anomaly. I'm like, no, I think this was definitely planned on God's part. Hmm. Um, what happened? What what the death certificate says? We didn't do an autopsy, okay. um, but what the death certificate says was that he had uh, he had stopped breathing. Hmm. So my suspicion was because the um, the diaphragm was getting weaker. We were noticing that his voice was getting quite weak. That um, it just decided his, his if his, if he stopped breathing long enough, you know, there's a chain reaction. Your your heart needs oxygen. Your brain needs oxygen, and your brain and and your lungs need blood. So they they kind of both have to work at the same time. So if one stops working, the other one's going to stop very mm. soon. So, did you say that it was a, almost a bit of a grace just because? Um, oh, it absolutely. Like my was. grandmother died of ALS, yeah. and the slow progression of the body shutting down can cause horrible suffering. Oh, it's very much so. And and I've heard horror stories even in his own family on like he watched his mom go through that as a teenager when he was a teenager, and and he wouldn't. I wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. Yeah. Um. So I was kind of stealing myself, preparing that he might be going to go th- have to go through the same thing, and it was a huge blessing that. God allowed him to not suffer that way. Mm. And if he was suffering, he kept it super quiet to himself. Mm. And um, there were times that I know that he was quite frustrated with his inabilities when he couldn't hold on to the fork to feed himself. That's got to be frustrating. And um, when he lost the ability to be able to like shower himself and needed needed assistance in that. Mm. Um, Oh, now I was absolutely happy and willing and ready and able to help him with that. But I know that he lost his own independence. He couldn't drive a snow machine. It was <clears throat> probably the worst one hmm. when he realized he couldn't drive his own snow machine. That was like super heartbreaking for him. Yeah, so. there's so much attachment for men and their like usefulness <coughs> or ability to yeah. use their bodies, their strength, their yeah. to to fulfill their manhood, if you will. Well, and to Tim lose was such that. a patient guy he didn't really feel like he was not athletic he didn't feel like he had anything to prove physically Mm -hmm. 
he just liked to be able to drive the snow machine. He picked out that snow machine. It was his favorite. Um, but then um, his mind never stopped working. The, the, night he, the night before he passed, we had just had a long day of conference. And so he was tired. I was tired. It was a long three weeks. And so he had pl- laid out a plan that evening. I was going to help him shower the next morning. We were going to sleep in a little bit, shower, go to conference about an hour late, which was fine that day. Mm. And then we were looking forward to spending a weekend with his with his family up in Palmer before we came back to, to McGrath. So we had just talked about the plan, and he liked to wind down in the evenings by watching like a YouTube video on how to tear apart a tractor engine or something, <laughs> which bored the daylights out of me. But I was glad that he was enjoying it. He had his headphones in, and he was watching some tractor overhaul video and was was quite happy with himself. And then, then God called him home in his sleep. Like the tractor video was still playing when I rolled over. It was mm, still on. Wow. So there was no indication that he had suffered at all. Hmm. And that's just the biggest blessing. Yeah. Now, the rest of us suffered, yes. So we thought that it was way too early. There were so many questions that he hadn't answered quite yet and explained to us on what engine that needed to be overhauled and and that kind of thing. But Hmm. we feel definitely honored in in the gift that God gave us. Yes. Yep. So tell me about the last couple of months. He died August 4th. Yeah. Today's October 21st. Tell me about how the grieving process has been. What are, you know, what coping mechanisms or, I mean, what what's what's getting you by? Well, there's a lot of peace knowing that um, Tim is, I was, I'm jealousy because Tim got to meet Jesus before I did. <laughs> but a lot of peace knowing he's not in pain. And this world was not our home to begin with. Um, yes, I miss him. And it comes in waves. Um, I'll be fine. And then a sound or a smell of his favorite food, snow machine going by, and it'll hit you. But, um,. I have a lot of good friends um, with with the church and um, with our mission organization um, that I can call on and say, I need you to talk to me and I need a different voice in my head besides mine. Hmm. And they'll start telling me about what they're making for dinner or what the dog's doing in the backyard or something that just gets my mind off of it. Something daily. Completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And do I care that she's making lasagna for dinner? No. (laughs) But I needed a different voice in my head. Um, And the interesting thing is that um, the morning he died, it wasn't an emergency. There, there wasn't any reason for there to be an emergency, but um, I knew I couldn't just stand there. Like something needed to happen. Mm. So um, we have dear, dear friends that uh, came with us to Alaska, or they got to Alaska about a month and a half before we did, and they lost their son. Um, to he had a uh, he rejected a kidney transplant. He was about eight years old wow. when he died, <clears throat> and the day he died was August fourth. 2018. Hmm. And so I knew that they would know what needed to happen. I also knew that they were going to be up because one of them was scheduled to have surgery that morning. Hmm. So I'm like, I know they're going to be awake. I don't really want to interrupt their surgery because this isn't an emergency. I just need to know what I need to do next. Hmm. So I called them and I said, hey, Tim passed away last night. Hmm. And they said, we're on our way. I'm like, no, 
I just need to know what to do. And they're like, and I don't want to interrupt your surgery. They're like, oh, we just canceled it. We're on our way. Mm. And so they showed up and they said, Tim died within like an hour of when their son died. Wow. Five years apart. I'm like, wow. that's just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but they were, they stuck right there with me. Mm. And she's often the one I'll text where I would go, my brain's not in a good spot right now. Mm. And so she'll start telling me that she's taking the kids to the dentist or something. You just know, something this, about someone who gets you. Like, yeah, she, I don't have she to explain going, my brain's going all these different directions. And she'll call me at the most random times going, what's going on today? Mm. And I could be just fine. I'm like, oh, I'm splitting firewood and I'm walking the dog. Or I could be sitting on the couch going, my brain won't shut off. Mm. And she'll say, oh, okay, well, let's talk through. And she'll start telling me what color her shirt is or something, you know, <laughs> just to get my brain thinking something else. So it's mm. just huge. Or she'll pray with me. She prays with me all the time. Mm. So it's to have a friend like that or just a couple of different friends, sometimes in different time zones is nice. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, to be able to... Um, to dump on they understand they don't have to understand everything but someone who's got broad shoulders hmm. or or cares enough about you doesn't have to be family in fact it's almost better if it's not hmm. they can kind of be removed a little bit from the situation mm-hmm. interesting yeah hmm. so tell me about what your thoughts are about moving in the future you're now a single woman you've recently lost your husband mm-hmm. you're here in McGrath I mean tell me about the, the your thoughts on the future yeah there's a lot of things that I said I don't I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. It was always a we. We are doing this and we're doing that. Now Mm. it's me. I'm doing this and I'm doing that or not. Um, I definitely feel a a sense of belonging here in McGrath. I'm Mm. still plugged into the church in a lot of different levels. Uh, I don't know what Brad mentioned mentioned about in the Lodge (coughs) uh, podcast, but (laughs) I'm... uh, I don't even know what my official title is, but it's an administrator of some kind with I think a one. He called woman. you the Sar. Uh, he called me the transportation Sar. <laughs> I don't know that I like that name, but I kind of roll my eyes and look at it and go, okay. But yeah, it's administrator with One Wilderness Ministries, and and specifically what I'm looking into is uh, being able to expand what we're able to do with our gatherings, and and um, and what that looks like for the interior of Alaska. We uh, have a heart for being able to um, edify and expand and, and encourage the church in in Bush, Alaska. And what that looks like in each village is going to be probably a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We have an established church here in McGrath, but a lot of villages don't even have, have that. They might have one or two families who get together occasionally and and encourage each other through the word. But to have a, a church gathering that it talks about in the in the New Testament, um, and if, unless you've experienced the the desert side of it, where you haven't had that ability to meet together with other believers, you don't really understand the sweetness that 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 entails when you can get together with other families, pray with them, pr- cry with them, and encourage them. Say, keep on keeping on, and 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 feed that flame of mm. of the gospel. So we want to be able to do that, whether it's bringing folks here. Or going to that village. Um, the last three, four years, we've been able to bring campers from other villages here. Wow. And a lot of those campers have a lot of baggage, mm. a lot of stories that break my heart every time I even just see their face. Mm. And I know that there's a God-sized hole in that family. Mm. And, and while the camper comes and is fed and is encouraged and has professed faith, 
they have to go back to that family almost feeling like they're alone. And we don't want them to feel like they're alone. We want to be able to continue that encouragement. And while you can do that with wonderful things like cell phones and technology, mm-hmm. nothing beats face-to-face contact and being able to give them a hug, being able to meet their family and encourage mm-hmm. their family. So we want to be able to take what we're doing here to those different locations. Yeah. And um, what that looks like right now, I don't know. But mm. there's a lot of potential and it's exciting. Mm. So um, I have an airplane. <laughs> yeah, what kind I, of plane is it? Uh, well, actually, I have a Cessna 150. That's mm-hmm. the one I own. Yeah. The organization that I work with um, has a Cherokee 6. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have a couple other uh, church members that have their own aircraft. Okay. And they've all talked about how they would love to be able to use that gift that God's given them with the aircraft. Mm. What that looks like, we don't know. But... Mm. We got to start somewhere, yeah. And and recruiting pilots, recruiting families, and and um, just keeping that interest alive. Recruiting funds as um, to be able to mm. fill the airplane with fuel, or mm, yeah. pay insurance and stuff like that. Just yeah. the the nitty gritty side of things. I appreciate that the attitude you have. The uh, you know here here is you you obviously have this massive heart for this village and the surrounding villages. A lot of the young people, and then it's like this is what I want to do and how do I do that I don't know I actually appreciate that I don't have an answer and yeah. it's it's. I think that's good for um, the life out here and when you don't know to say I don't know mm-hmm. um, it, it, too many people have too many answers and to say yeah. I don't know and ask the Lord what do you want me to do there's something yep. beautiful about that and also just the the brokenness that is part of your story now with the yeah. loss of your husband The it's now baggage so to speak yep you have more to offer now yep. because of that brokenness in your yep. life. And there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. It's exciting to see that. I mean, that doesn't mean my life has ended. Hmm. That chapter did. Hmm. But I turned the page. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Turn the page. Well, I'm really excited to see what's on the next few pages for you. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm talking to Brad quite a bit. I'm hoping to be flying yeah, back yeah. to McGrath. Certainly, uh, you know, when I'm busy flying in the summer, I pop in here sometimes. Yeah. And now I know you a little bit better. So, yeah. hey, thank you so much for taking this time. And that was a very vulnerable story. Thank you for being willing to share it Absolutely. on a very public platform like this. And I hope a few people can listen sure. and relate yeah. and be encouraged. Well, thank you. Thank you, Haley. Thank you.